Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Broadway Podcast Network presents Giants in the Sky, How Sondheim and Lapine Went into the Woods, with me, Ben Rimmelauer. Today's guest, Burke Moses, the prince in the final workshop. Once upon a time. Burke Moses was cast as Rapunzel's prince, but wound up playing the dual roles of Cinderella's prince and the wolf in the final pre-Broadway workshop of Into the Woods. He later created the role of Heracles in the Broadway premiere of Stephen Sondheim and Bert Shevelov's The Frogs. He also created the role of Gaston in Disney's Beauty and the Beast on Broadway and starred on Broadway in the acclaimed revivals of Guys and Dolls and Kiss Me Kate. His off-Broadway performances include Gigantic and The Fantastics, in addition to numerous regional theater credits and film and television roles. Well, Burke, first of all, thank you so much for talking with me. You are, like, such a wonderful surprise to me because when I started this project wanting to learn about Into the Woods because it was such a big show, but it's pre-internet and there was those years of development that nobody knows anything about. And I had a vague sense that there'd been Betty Buckley at some point and all these other people had auditioned and there was Playwrights Horizons and they went to San Diego. And I, but I didn't, I couldn't find stuff. You know, it was really limited information out there. And then in one of my first uh, interviews, Danielle Furlan says, oh, and Burke Moses. And I was like, what? I had no idea. And um, then I got a little more information as, you know, it's, I started to talk to people, but the way people went in and out in that process, and it's been so many decades. And the fact that I can actually talk to you about it, I am just overjoyed. And I know all the listeners are dying to hear your whole um, experience. If you would share it with us from, from the very beginning, when you even knew there was such a thing as into the woods. Well, thank you for having me. I'm not quite sure if I feel privileged to be here because (laughs) you are the first person in the media ever to ask, ever wanting to know the tale of the exiled prince. So I am privileged. I am privileged. Uh, I don't know if uh, I don't know if it's a privilege. It's uh, as, as it's as much of a privilege as going to a Saw three movie. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, 
actors, like in any business, actors like to sit around and tell war stories mm. about their career, the horrible things, the heartbreaks, the the parts they didn't get or the parts they got, but the show didn't have legs, etc. During these moments, I never tell my story because after I tell my story, everybody just goes, oh, shit. Ah, wow. And nobody keep nobody seems to be able to top it. So to cut to the chase, what happened was I wasn't just part of the reading. I was the original Broadway Rapunzel's Prince. I had a contract. And when we started that reading, not only did I have a contract for that, but I also had a contract for ABC television. I was working in daytime. I had a three-year contract. So I was doing both shows. It was a big deal. I remember it was... Uh, it was on the cover of the entertainment section of the uh, of USA Today, which used to be much bigger than it is now. Um, and what happened was on the first so on the first day, I had two jobs was making deep into the six figures with both jobs. And a week later, it was a two week reading. And a week later, I lost the soap opera job. And a week after that, I was fired from Into the Woods. Oh, and I never got to play my part never got even to say the words except for once during the reading now was this this was going to be your broadway debut i was a year out of school wow so it's a bit of a story so it's not for the faint of heart so kitty <laughs> listen up so here it goes so i graduated from carnegie mellon and which wasn't nearly the, you know, the, 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 the you know, today it's harder to get into an MIT. Yeah. <laughs> Back then it was not so difficult to get into such programs, but I was doing very well. I had a commercial, I worked over the summer, so I had plenty of money to move to New York. I had a great agent. Uh, all the agents wanted me coming out of school. Uh, I started and immediately started working on television, doing episodics doing reoccurring players for the guiding light. And then ABC picked me up for a three-year deal for the now defunct soap opera Loving. Mm. Used to be down 67th Street, down by, down by the railroad tracks there. And so we got this thing. This was by Christmas. I'd come in the fall. This was by Christmas. Wow. I had this. And then January, my agent said, look, I know you've got a contract, but I want you to go in for the show. It's the new Stephen Sondheim show, Into the Woods. And so I went in, did my first audition, made, started making callbacks. And then all of a sudden, you know, they gave me the script. So I had to go in and do it. And I remember meeting James Lapine. And after I had gotten to uh, read with him, I, I, I said to him, I'm not really, I feel like I'm not getting the style. You know, they gave me the Prince scene with the, the scene before they say agony. And I really wasn't getting the style. And Lapine said, no, you're really not. But um, we're going to call you back late anyway. So I got called back to the final call. And I remember uh, Robert Westenberg was there. Harry Groner was there. And I think uh, McGillis. John Howard, Howard McGillen was there. So it was those three guys. And I don't remember seeing anyone else for Rapunzel's Prince, but they matched me up with Westenberg. And I think it was the West Side Arts Theater. They, they, I think it was over there on 
43rd Street. Yeah. And so he's, so we're literally on stage, waiting stage left, you know, waiting to enter when you would. And so he comes on and starts talking. And all of a sudden I came on and the scene was magic. It was, he had that, you know, I like the one in the red hat. He had that, <laughs> that, that delivery of his that was just, and I remember coming off, first of all, I didn't really knew it was that funny. Yeah. They were just roaring their asses off at their own jokes, which is what writers do. <laughs> <laughs> and I had no idea, but I came off, I came off not knowing what had happened. But I knew it went very, very well. And the next thing I know, my agent's calling me up saying, you got it. You're, you're, you're this character. And I was like, oh, my God, can we do that? And my agent was, okay, we're, you know, rolled up her sleeves and started doing so and worked out a deal somehow where I was going to take some weeks off. Da, 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 da. But anyway, I was going to do both contracts, take a little storyline exit from my thing or pre-tape things post-tape things and it was going to work out okay because i you know i didn't really care that much about the soap opera i wanted to be in a broadway musical not just a broadway musical but back then sondheim was literally the only guy in town he was the penultimate i had seen the I had seen, you know, Len Cario in Roll Double Z of the Eurus Theater for <laughs> C. Sweeney Todd. You know, I mean, this was just so unbelievable. So we got, get to the day and we have our, you know, they send us the script like a day before. Okay, because it was all big hush hush. I don't think I got it until like Saturday or Sunday it was delivered to me. Uh, which was brand new. I was like, oh my God, I've <laughs> scripts delivered to me. This is fantastic. And so we go in the next day and there's the entire cast. There's Gemignani, there's Sondheim, there's Lapine, there's Betty Buckley doing the, uh, doing the witch. And of course, Chip and Joanne and all the people who had been out at La Jolla. Yeah. Okay, or most of them. Yeah. Uh, so we sit down and we're like, you know, okay, do the meet and greet, et cetera, the bagels, et cetera. And, and uh, we sit down and read the play, which I think was the last time Sondheim ever did the sing through. Oh. And he has the worst voice you have ever. It's like a bark, but it's on pitch. Or is it? Because the, it's the, it's just like, and it was, of course, it was magical because yeah. I had heard these stories about this sort of thing. And I was just, oh, my God. And every time my scenes with Robert would go and do this thing and I just play off him. He was, yeah. he was just really easy to play off good actors. And he's a great actor. And I was just playing off him. And I was like, oh, oh, I see what I'm doing. I'm kind of getting it here. Yeah. And, of course, everybody's laughing. And uh, it was just glorious and so we finally get to the break and <clears throat> and uh i'm over at the coffee craft table or whatever get a little tap on my shoulder i turn around and it's stephen sondheim <sighs> he's going to talk to me <laughs> and he's like 
in his very peculiar way, kind of just odd. Well, I would just want to, you know, welcome you to the show type of thing. And and I said, oh, thank you so much, sir. It's so great to be here and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going on and on. And while I'm going on, he's he's like shaking his head like, no, no, uh, 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 uh. Uh-uh. And he's like backing away from me, and I'm kind of moving toward him, going, and I feel just great to be here. And, I'll pick and he's going, uh-uh, uh-uh, and he finally just goes, "Don't, don't, don't call me, sir." And he walks away. And I just stood there at the craft table, like, "What the fuck was that?" And I should have thought, "It's an omen." <laughs> It's an omen for what is to come because what happened next was James Lapine approached me and he said, Burke, listen, Robert Westenberg is uh, finishing up his run at Arena Stage. He's doing the Crucible. I think he was doing Proctor down there. And he's not going to be able to do the reading. Since you're his understudy, during the reading, you're going to do his role and your understudy, Jeff Bluenkrantz, <laughs> is going to do your role. I mean, I cannot tell you the difference in chemistry between me and Robert Westenberg and me as the lead with Jeff Blumenkrantz. <laughs> so basically, they just handed the lead of the biggest Broadway show in a decade to a kid 10 months out of Carnegie Mellon with his Meisner training. <laughs> and not only that, and I just spent the last nine months trying to learn this television thing. It's, we didn't have television training mm. back then. You literally learned it on the spot, just like they did in the 30s. And TV is a whole different thing. And of course, the exact opposite energy. Yeah. Then a highly stylized musical. Yeah. So we finished the reading and I'm just, I'm just freaking out. And the reading goes great. And everybody says goodbye. And I call up my agent saying, they just, I, they just gave me, is there any, I, I don't, you know, and she, well, you know, there's nothing else you can do. Wow. Okay, so I go in the next day. Now, I've had the script for a day, so I'm like yeah. rereading the script. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I go in the next day, and we're like, you know, we're going to block two weeks. We're going to have a staged reading. And I go in the next day, and I realize right off the bat in the first scene, it was with Chip and Joanna. Uh, were you the wolf? What? Were you were the wolf then, too? Doing a scene with Chip and Joanna, and I'm the prince, okay? okay. Something like, I can remember the three of us together. I can't yeah. remember what scene it was. And we started off with that. And so we do the scene. I'm glued to my text because I, I, you know, I basically got the call last night. And um, they're doing nuanced, broad yeah. performance. <laughs> They did it at playwrights, and then they did that. Now, after we sort of ran the scene the first time, then there was discussion, except for I wasn't part of it. I yeah. was just over on one side with the book in my hand. Yeah. I'll 
while the two of them, because they're they're jockeying for position, <laughs> Chip and Joanna are jockeying for position for their characters and what's going on and yeah. you know, the fights you have, creative fights you have. And I'm not part of it all. I'm like a stage manager sitting over on one side. Yeah. Absolutely zero direction. And the first thing James Lapine said to me, I remember we were doing The Wolf. Everybody kind of liked my wolf because... I used this kind of gravelly voice, which I learned in school and I later used in Heracles. Um, mm. So I had this uh, look at that flesh, pink and plump, had the, had a real gruff. And oh. I was like, hey, little girl, whoops. <laughs> Sudden it kind of went into this big baritone sound there like, whoa, okay, that's different. <laughs> and uh, so that was going well. It was going so well that Lapine came up to me and she said, he said, Little Red Riding Hood, Danielle, needs to see you like you're a rock star. And I was like, a rock star? How the hell am I going to make this guy sound like a rock star? It's not like, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't go, ah! I just, I, I couldn't do some kind of rock and a what? That was like, well, that's not going to work. And I'm going, I'm, I'm going back. I'm, I'm spending three days, but no, we had a problem because the prince is not going well. And I'm spending days on this thing. Finally, I'm like, Davy Jones, the monkey. <laughs> so I come in one day, we run the scene. I go, hello, little girl, wants your rush. Thank you, get higher. And he, and, and the pine's like, stop, stop, stop. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you, what, what, what are you doing? What's, what, what are you doing? And he said, well, I mean, you said a rock star. And I thought, Dave, what about Davy Jones? And he went, no, no. I meant that she should see you as a rock star. What you're doing is fine. And I, and I wanted to, I didn't say it, but I wanted to go, why the fuck are you telling me? <laughs> that was it. I was like, so I... About a week into it, I get a call from my agent saying, well, the soap opera's going to let you go. We kind of pulled a fast one on them. And you know what? It's not the six weeks. that It's really more like 14 weeks. That yeah. So they can't really continue your storyline. Well, you just lost, well, about 100000 It was like, whew. it was like, oof. But... I didn't care anyway because I'm in a great big broad way <laughs> show. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm living the dream. Yeah. Yeah. dream horribly, but at least I'm me. <laughs> okay, so but once the second week of the reading started, I am so lost that finally I, I just go up to Lapine and say, I, look, I'm I'm really, really not. There's a style here, like in Guys and Dolls. And they went, yes, there is. And I said, well, what is it? Yeah. He said, well, it's not what you're doing. And then he left. And that was the only piece of direction I received, playing the leading role in the biggest Broadway musical less than a year out of school so we finally get to the day of the reading and i'm like just you know 
get this nightmare over with, bring Westenberg back. So I just need to be able to watch. I just need to be able to sit there and watch. And my part was so easy. All I had to do was sing a song which fit like butter in the, my voice. I mean, <laughs> a chicken in its own juices. But <laughs> do the, you know, the two scenes, I, once he's there, I'm fine. And with a couple of side gags later on, the rest of the time, it's like ensemble work, you know what I mean? It was the perfect, perfect way to enter Broadway with that kind of rehearsal period. And so finally we get to the stage reading and they say, okay, you know, a couple friends are going to be in. And I was back down when it was at 890 Studios. Yeah. Downtown on Broadway. Big, big, big rehearsal room, big, you know. And uh, I get there in the morning and there's Chip who's smoking a cigarette with his hand shaking and he's curled into a fetal ball by the door. And I'm like, Chip, I thought he was having a nervous breakdown. I'm like, Chip, what's the matter? What's going on? He went, are you fucking kidding me? Look in there. And I was like, what? And I walk in, it's like, oh my God. There were a hundred chairs uh-huh. there. In the front row, Kevin Klein was hobnobbing with Bernadette Peters. Mary Elizabeth Mastriantonio was there, who I was just in love with. I saw in the human comedy. It was like, oh my God, who's Miss Dream Doll? And she's like front dead center with every power player in New York. It was the hottest ticket in a generation. And I had not brought my game face. Lapine said, oh, it's just a, just another rehearsal. We'll be work. No, this was a full-on Broadway spectacle. And I don't remember much about the reading. I just remember on the one thing I could just nail, which was the wolf, I lost my place and I had to stop and start over. It was just... It went from nightmare to nightmare to nightmare to nightmare, moment and moment missed. It was a putrid performance of which I had no clue of what I was doing and nothing they taught me at school was helping whatsoever. I was reaching into a grab bag of tricks and coming out. I just had no clue what Westenberg had done because it was so fast i only saw him for like twice and i was my mind was occupied otherwise you know i wasn't and uh for the last time i am not on ozempic i made one little joke on this podcast and everybody started calling me out texting me calling me cringe whatever i really was asked by people if i was on ozempic and as i told them i am not I am just eating factors, no prep, no mess meals, okay? Warmer, sunnier days are coming. Fire Island season is here. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors' fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine what are you waiting for with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week you'll always have new flavors to explore 
crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. And kitchen time is kept to a minimum. They are ready in two minutes. No shopping, no prepping, no cooking, no cleanup. Enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or just simply to eat well balanced. Head to factormeals.com slash giants in the sky 50 and use code giants in the sky 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code giants in the sky 50 at factormeals.com slash giants in the sky 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So finally the thing opened, I'm like, gee, thank God. And so I go back on Monday. I've got to finish up the soap opera, and I'm there in the makeup room, and I'm talking to Chelsea Noble, who married the guy from, who married the, who's the guy? He's like a Christian kid actor. Anyway, that, that's a sidebar. And all of a sudden somebody said, Burke, phone call so i get in the i mean literally it's in the dressing room it's like you know a bunch of ironing boards around get a call hi burke james lapine yes listen we're letting you go uh we're gonna go another way and i said but i didn't get to play my part and he said yeah we've decided to go another way and i thought all right, we'll see if I'm quick. And I was like, oh my God. And I called my agent and she said, yeah, I just heard, come on in. So after my day shoot, I, I went to my agent and I'm sitting there in the waiting room, just kind of, you know, stunned, shocked. And next to me, I, I recognized the actress who was also there as Randy Graff. And I'd just seen her in the, the gypsy run of Les Mis hmm. went, Oh, hi, I saw you in Les Mis. I thought you were quite wonderful. I know Marcus Lovett at school with Marcus Lovett. She was like, Oh, hi. You know? And I said, Burke Moses. And she went, Burke Moses. Wait, the end of the woods, Burke Moses. And then she covered her mouth and went, <gasps> and I thought, Oh my God, I got fired on Monday, and this was like Monday evening, or it was Tuesday. It was one day, and I was Burke Moses, the guy who was fired from Into the Woods. And the only, I mean, they had to pay me. So I did get a Broadway paycheck for the next year. Wow. Yeah, so... 
that was it. But I went, I went dark. I went into a hole. And the next thing I know, I'm doing streetcar so far out in the boonies <laughs> that, <laughs> I mean, it was like your penance. It was like exile. It was so far. It literally was as far out of New York as you could possibly get to. And it, I, I, I was just, wow. Wow. And so that was my welcome to the business. Okay, first of all, thank you so much for telling me this. Um, I have so many questions. And of course, I want to get to, uh, you know, I mean, this, I can't imagine what this does to a person at that tender age. But of course, you went on to do many Broadway shows. Many Broadway shows, including one with Stephen Sondheim. So, I mean, there's a lot more that happened later. But... um, but going back just before the axe fell, like I, first of all, this is so interesting because the people that mentioned you being in that workshop talked about how brilliant you were, including Jeff Blumenkrantz. So my guess was you were going to tell me, oh, I was a young whiffersnapper. I, I talked no, trash. No, 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 you know. Jeff, when they, when they had, you know, the way my mind worked at the time, I mean, when they handed me, I was, I could be the lead. What if I'm better than Westerner? <laughs> you're young, you're stupid. You don't get no contracts. Don't work that way, kid. <laughs> okay, but I thought I could go toe to toe with him on on the wolf. I was like, yeah. put my wolf up against it. Go ahead, my friend. Yeah. But the prince, I was so lost. I I just I just didn't have the. I just couldn't figure it out. And my training had really not uh, addressed that. And that was actually became the focus. Yeah. How could I have saved myself from that peril, having no direction, no support, no nothing? So, I mean, about the no direction, because, you know, uh, I mean, obviously so many of us in the business idolize James Lapine for the shows he's written and for the work that he's put on stage in terms of the results, you know, that the audience experienced. But um, even in his own telling, in his book about Sunday in the Park with George, putting it together, I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with this book, but it's a fascinating book. And it's it's kind of like this podcast in that it's like an oral history of that show. And it's very frank and unflinching in, in how many problems these actors had with him. And he's very much owns up to sort of being new to directing in general somewhat and very new to musical theater and, you know, having, I mean, you know, people like Christine Baranski and Kelsey Grammer and stuff that, you know, fell out in that uh, show before it came to Broadway. And um, so, you know, obviously Into the Woods was later and there was a Pulitzer and there other stuff. So I'm sure there was a higher level of confidence and, you know, competence even in that way. But but clearly there, there were other issues other people talked about in terms of the bedside manner with the actors. And there did seem to be this kind of like trail of bodies. I mean, which I guess is not uncommon for a musical and development. Um, but like, I mean, did you know, did you have a sense coming in uh, as Rapunzel's Prince, because I guess Chuck Wagner, who did it um, uh, on Broadway, is who had done it at the Old Globe. Did it, the old, like, yeah. They didn't but know I mean, what they wanted. Equally as devastating to Chuck for not being pulled along with it. He must have yeah. been like, hallelujah, when it came yeah. to redemption. So, you know, I mean, he, 
must have been, I mean, can you imagine how devastating it was for him? Yeah, but I mean, did you, you know, sometimes it seems like they're just kind of throwing pasta against the wall because they can't figure something out. Was there that sense about the character? Like they, they like weren't happy with anything they were getting from anybody. And so they just kept like throwing people under the bus. Well, I never, I never, I, the only time I ever did with Punzel's Prince was my audition with right. Right. and the read through. I mean, yeah. that was it. That yeah. Or touched that role again or since. Uh, uh, didn't happen so uh once i got to the print i mean i'm 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 a kid out of school book in hand got the script one day earlier i have no clue what a professional broadway performance looks like never mind be able to to do it i'm doing you know i was doing summer stock with you know there's just no difference what you come out of school and particularly back then, which was a whole different uh, time in training. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, you know, we had seven hour acting classes back then. Jesus. I mean, it was like, you know, getting on a couch and being assaulted and this is not going to help you in the vaudevillian world of the theater, which is an old school training. And that's, what eventually led me writing a book on the subject. And so this was impetus for me, was how can how could I have survived a situation where I have no experience, no direction, and I'm not part of the process. Yeah. Because every time we do a scene, they just huddle together and I sit in the side. It was I was no different than a stage manager. Now do you think that was them being uh, sort of condescending to you because you were the understudy and they didn't really care what your input was to the scenes that were Bob? Oh, I think it's because they had a show that they thought were in trouble and everybody was scared to death that the script didn't work. You know, Chip Zion in the arguments that Chip would do uh, and, uh, and, 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 you know, you know huddling with Joanna. I mean, there's, you know, the, it's all kind of politics going on about each person's part, et cetera. And Westenberg is not there to fight for his own part. Yeah. And they, they know they have to do everything back again once he comes back. Right. So, uh, it's not like I had Jerry Zachs for a director who would have basically just fed me every line until I got it. <laughs> James Pine, who at the time I don't know what his directing thing, but he is not an actor's director. I mean, he gave me nothing other than, you know, throwing me off base on the on, on the wolf and, um, and and saying, "Well, it's not what you're doing." Yeah, I mean, okay. So talking about your book, it's Stanislavski never wore tap shoes, right? Do you feel there's been a change? from that era where now programs prepare performers to work in what musical theater is as opposed to like maybe Stanislavski stuff that maybe is hard to apply in these sort of, as you put it, vaudevillian contexts? But the musical theater, the problem with the Stanislavski is it's a nine month process. Yeah. First, the first step of the Stanislavski process is basically have a picnic and get to know each other. Mm. You got Nine months, man. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, then the group theater came along where they had four months. They took entire summer off. Now you're basically a musical theater gig. is about three to four weeks long. Mm. 
okay? In those three to four weeks, about two days are spent on the acting. <laughs> days in a typical, especially in a big show. Like we just, you know, last big show I did was 42nd Street. It was just a big show. We were doing three scenes, three scenes in an hour, you know, an hour and 20 plus 10 minute break. Okay. Yeah. You know, with our thing is you, you really have to have a vaudevillian approach to our business. Mm -hmm. So fast that you've got to just have some rules to follow and the craft that which, that which, uh, 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 what's his face? Uh, Strasburg called bullshit. <laughs> Life blood of our business, but yeah. happened. You know, I went through year after year after into the woods in this kind of oh miasma confusion about acting, and then my first rehearsal for Guys and Dolls, I finally, finally get back to Broadway to replace this Sky Masterson. Yeah, I sit down with Jerry Zacks, and he goes, "Okay, let's just do the scene." And I said, "You know." Uh, he goes, how you doing, Sky? I said, Nathan, you owe promoter you. And, <laughs> and Zach goes, stop. He just was stopped. Just screamed at me. I mean, I was like, there with Leah Hawking, right? And um, uh, he goes, no, it's Nathan, you owe promoter you. So I said, Nathan, you owe promoter you. And he went, that's it. Wow. And then so I, I went I went on to the next line, you know, I feel great, Nathan. Two wonderful weeks out west in Havana, great place, beautiful scenery, helpful climate, and I beat him for 50 G's playing blackjack. And he went, no, he stopped me again. He went, I beat him 50 G's playing blackjack. And he kept on doing that throughout the first scene. By the second scene, he stopped directing me like that. He stopped giving me line readings because I'd suddenly realized what he wanted me to do. Mm. So, and that was the first piece of craft I... I discovered first piece of real craft, you know, toss that dialogue up, ask a question, be speak with inquiry, drive through dialogue, you know, that sort of thing. And that was what changed my approach. Thank God I had him for beauty and the beast. Yeah. Then it was just like, I'm just in a, I, I'm like in a blur of Stanislavski trying to feel it and the whole thing. And you're like, no, dude, you just need to know how to say a line of dialogue. And so that's a lot of years. Cause this is a fall of 87 or summer of 87, when you get fired from Into the Woods. And then that's 1993, when you go into Guys and Dolls. as Because I know, I saw you, you and Faith Prince, you're fabulous. Okay. And Leah Hawking, and Jonathan Hadari, I think. Yeah, Jonathan. Uh, yeah, all great. Um, and Jerry Zach's brilliant production. But um, spoiled me. I never want to see Guys and Dolls again. Uh, but that's another podcast. But, um, uh, but that's six years. Um, and were you just going to auditions? The latter, where it was basically do a regional show, get great, you know, get, do a regional show, mixed reviews, <laughs> do another soap opera, get let go from that, and then spiraling around and around, regional show, then spiraling, do a musical, and, and just for six years, just trying to figure out why the hell I got fired from Into the Woods. So well, how Always, always, it was, it was, it was crazy for me. Like, how could I have survived that insane process? And then that day with Jerry Zacks at the end of it, I went, that's how you learn how to say a line of dialogue. Now, did you, in all that time, were you feeling like a victim or were you blaming yourself for what had happened? 
I'm myself. Oh no, no, I, I you know, uh, <laughs> I'm a depressive dude. We, we just go straight into the toilet. I went into such a dark place where I thought I was the most not only the most horrible actor but the most horrible person as well. It was dark, dark, and uh, it just. But what I mean, you'd seen okay, so you I'm, were. I, I was on. I was on the. I was on the cover of USA Today. For God's sake, my parents had had, had rented a bus. <laughs> friends from New York for the big opening of the biggest show in a generation. What the, you know? But you were. But you were fresh out of Carnegie Mellon. Betty I, Buckley was a star with a Tony Award and TV shows and movies and a long list of credits. Did it not? give you some sense of this is part this is this is systemic or something that she had a similar fate no no <laughs> buckley what, what am I? oh well buddy buck i'm not betty buckley <laughs> <laughs> um i no i no i just took it all on myself like not only I am a horrible actor, but I was a horrible person too, because they're so intertwined. You know, right. I was, you know, I was the BMOC coming out of college. I suppose, boom, and the next thing I know, I'm, I'm in Po Dunk Rep, Po Dunk Rep doing streetcar. But I mean, when you when you came to that room that day and ships in a fetal position smoking a cigarette and Kevin Klein and Bernadette Peters are hobnobbing, like, didn't. Did you did you have a sense? Oh, like heads are gonna roll. This is like this is like a. I, 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 there were so many in people. I'm sure the Schubers, the Neil. I'm sure everyone was there. And thank God I didn't know them. I just was Kevin Klein. He was like my god. Yeah, he was big time back then, and it was like uh, 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 where you just froze. I just it was I I was just so unprepared. You really yeah. got to. You really got to be prepared to bring your game face. Yeah. This was hardly another rehearsal. Yeah. This was just, I mean, it was just, it was a nightmare. And, um, you know, as one does when you're young, you relive it over and over and over and over every move you made until finally you get some experience and you just go, dude, even at my age, I'm not quite sure if I could have made it out of that one. Yeah development where you're not part of the process and you're just sitting by with a script in your hand and I mean you know where no one's talking to you but I must admit it helped later on when Lapine gave me a very nice note after Beauty and the Beast he said he said the Tony Awards really messed up not giving you a nomination you were phenomenal I was like all right Oh, thanks for that. I guess. Okay. I'm not, not but finally, 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 the woods happened. And that whole experience really just wrapped it all up into a nice package, and I was kind of done with it. It took twenty years for me to get over this. And wait, so um, uh, and tell me about then working with Sondheim on the Frogs. Sondheim's an odd bird. Yeah, he's an odd duck so there's not a whole lot of of conversations that i had with him uh uh but he you know he wrote that song for me 
Oddly yeah. enough, they didn't want to cast me in that either. They were looking for a literal giant. <laughs> uh, they wanted somebody like six eight, six nine, like Herschel was in Guys and Dolls. His big yeah, team. yeah, Herschel Sparber. Just couldn't find anyone who could sing, I guess, or act or uh. dance, whatever. And so uh, um, I asked William Ivy Long to. I actually, I actually designed the shoes. I said, <laughs> like almost like the Tharni, right? And, <laughs> which is a great story into itself. And so the whole post into the woods experience was wonderful. And I just saw William Ivy Long the other day at a party. It was just uh, we were talking about it. Now, was that was the Frogs the first Sondheim show you auditioned for after Into the Woods? Yes. Were you nervous about, did you go in with like a chip on your shoulder or extra anxiety or? They do the reading. Mm. So I didn't even audition for it. They just asked me to do the reading. So I went in and uh, uh, kind of did a, you know, a gruff thing type thing. And uh, um, I don't think there was, I'm not quite sure. There wasn't a song at the time. It was Right. reading i did the reading i was like oh this sounds great i mean it was just it's just a fantastic cast so it was just like a lark uh and with a lot of stress on nathan yes yeah a lot of stress yeah. on nathan yes he used to come back after the show like in a matinee screaming his head off that the audience wasn't laughing and you're going nathan it's lincoln center on a wednesday afternoon <laughs> the oxygen tanks out there they're laughing they can barely cough <laughs> anyway it was highly stressful for him but it was such a and in my part was written great i just came on did a song in a great scene and got mm. the classic vaudeville stuff so yeah and so that that really tied up i was very 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 thankful to have that experience and have my own little sondheim song and yeah before before i died <laughs> um and you did that before kiss me kate right um god did i maybe yeah. i'm getting the timing wrong um oh no that was after after okay that was after but, so i mean kiss me kate here you were like in this big hit like you know playing the lead i mean blakemore loved blakemore yeah I got to spend three weeks with Blakemore, just him and me in a rehearsal room. Mm. And it was really fun because, uh, you know, if I didn't know what he was talking about, I'd just say, here, you be me and I'll be the other characters. And we just switch off like that. It was great. Wow. Was great. Um, I mean, that that by then you must really have felt that you had sort of transcended this like scarring experience from your first bow. Uh. I think by Kiss Me, Kate, I knew what I was doing. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't I was getting, you know, in Into the Woods, look, I came out of college, and, and you know, I, I people are still the problem today. Yeah. Is that they're not being taught how to say a line of dialogue. Yeah. I didn't understand there was an actual way. Yeah. <laughs> until, until, um, until Jerry Sachs. Yeah. It gave me a, who gave me a, a, an easy approach. Just toss them all. Yeah. Just toss them. How do you yeah. teach that? What? How do you teach that? I, I do the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I just give them a line reading until you get it. It's so much easier to do that. That's the vaudevillian way. You know, look, our business, we can't do Stanislavski at the beginning. But I don't, he has nine months. We have two days. Yeah. 
on a typical rehearsal that you're going to cut your teeth on this business, you have about two days with the acting. Okay. You've got to work at the speed of fast and fast is three scenes in an hour and 20 and 10 minute break. Yeah. <laughs> right. I remember Chris Manos, they don't do this anymore. Chris Manos down in Atlanta who ran theater of the stars or theater under the stars. One of the two. And <laughs> now there's Houston. <laughs> run through in four days mm. can't use meisner approach <laughs> on on you know you've got to be able to quit it you've got to be able to just go off the cuff so in order to do that you just it, it's like you don't want to guess at the music or the yeah. don't really be guessing at how you say a line of dog instead in dialogue instead you're just guessing at intention and so this was what fascinated me and I was searching for it, searching for it, searching for it for so long until I got to guys and dolls. And suddenly Jerry goes, yeah, just toss them all. And then I could hold on to. And later on, I just turned that into something else. And then Nathan Lane taught me, don't move on the laugh. <laughs> I, I went through, don't move on the punchline. Yeah. Right. And then, then, I, then I learned, oh, and then I learned another from Lace. Don't act on other people's lines. Right. Right. Yeah. Next. Just so, go ahead, your turn. <laughs> I swear to God, for 400 shows with Nathan Lane, he's got he's got two two reactions. When, <laughs> one is that just the sardonic stare, yeah, sardonic stare with a slight nod. <laughs> I thought, let's try that, and all of a sudden, the audience began to crackle even more and more until I finally found Ruth Williamson's 45 second three banger laugh. <laughs> so pleased <laughs> now but okay why do you think line readings have such a bad rap in in the industry it's like you know people are it's like a bad you know, ask for it. i don't know what the hell's going on that's why i love working with blake more it was just the two of us working at tiss me kate this ridiculous role he said how do you want to approach it i said how might i just say the first line as truthfully as possible and see where it goes and yeah that started to work and uh, he goes, I think it's a great idea because it's such a big role. And and uh, it was just, it was just, it was so easy to work with him because I just said, give me a line read. If I didn't understand, what's the line reading? Because something coming out of Jerry Zaks or coming out of Michael Blakemore, you know, Jerry Zaks is like five foot nothing with a, a, a smile, a mile wide and a rapid fast talker. And Blakemore is kind of like this, you know, old English. <laughs> that type of thing and when i say a line of dialogue it sounds nothing like yeah. these <laughs> me the damn line reading which yeah. i you know which blakemore found incredibly refreshing and i just loved it mm. and uh, directors are always so oh my god really yeah dude it's faster <laughs> i think you know i i maybe it's i i is the idea that people are afraid if they if the line reading is given to them that then the in copying it they won't uh feel like they own it or something is that all goes back to strasberg saying the craft is bullshit yeah all goes back to him saying the craft is our way it's vaudevillian okay how we learn it how in vaudeville is without a doubt the best way to do it you start when you're about six years old they go hey kid come here yeah or, or you're in the Stroll, right? Yeah. Uh, come here. Here's a line of dialogue. They tell you how to land. The line of dialogue is going to be a setup line. Yeah. Somebody else's joke. Right. One 
at the setup line, then you're good to go. Once you understand how you started, no, don't don't throw in the basement. No, don't get quiet at the end of the line. Drive to the end of the line with volume. Toss that bad boy up and then throw focus. Don't pull focus while you're listening. Yeah. Have inner monologues. Yeah. Look at me, who I have the joke, okay, kid? And, <laughs> and if they didn't do it right, they got kind of a rap in the back of the head or like, hey, kid. <laughs> you start picking your nose on my punchline again. Uh, you're gonna, you're not gonna make it to seven. That's how to train a musical theater performer. Yeah, you know, you've got that. Then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I get it out here. I get the idea. And had I just known that, yeah, talk about in my book, which sells no copies. Um, had I just known, you know, look, pick a mark. Stand your ground. Throw focus. Yeah. Don't act before the line. Pick up your cues. Don't act between yeah. on it. At the end of it, toss that bad boy up with a little inquiry. Speak with inquiry. Like, what do you think? Yeah. And then just stare. Because you're going to be, when musical theater, you can't listen all the time. No. I remember Torsellini coming up to me and he was working with me in LA. He's LeFou in LA and he comes off stage and he goes, I can't believe you didn't laugh at that. And I, you know, it was the time I, I grab him and I go, don't I deserve the best? And he's doing like a whole improv <laughs> as always, because he always try and break me. And I said, dude, I'm listening for a downbeat. I'm not listening to a damn thing you say, because if you miss bump, bump, right from the moment when I met <laughs> wreck with michael cosman going it's an absolute train wreck you know that's the musical theater it's a multitasking nightmare and often completely inconducive to embodying characters so you know where other you know what they teach in school with stanislavski this is this nine month incredibly long process the idea is make it so you don't fake it yeah theater we don't have time to do that we fake it until we actually become it yeah and if you know how to do that i think glenn kiss outside at best he said he said it's not about who can do the best performance it's about who can do it in the time allotted which means no time yeah and about it and so you've got to have you know the tricks of the craft itself to be able to do it and understand particularly straight man comic that's yeah. the not taught in school straight man the setup and the payoff yeah. because it's you know it's written like sitcoms and, and yeah so you know with with differences you know you got to build dialogue until you sing so yeah. I, they they didn't teach me any of that when oh. i was cool yeah. because we had to lie on the floor and meditate i mean it just doesn't seem fair though i think that you like the fact that you were cast in one part and didn't get to do it and then, like to you know, if you would have, if Bob Wessenberg had not been in the Crucible, it seems like you would have figured out the shortcut. Right. I would have learned, yeah, so much. That's the biggest problem with college. I mean, you know, hey, college. The problem with college is there's no professionals to watch. Yeah, you're not. It's the only, literally the only way to learn. If you again, vaudeville is the way to go. Yeah, you know, a kid in there and just go. Uh, yeah. and, you know, for our business. Now, now film's different. Yeah. Film is different. But even then, even with film, you have to understand the camera. And that's the big thing now with kids. They might understand the stage a little bit. But yeah. they definitely don't understand the camera. And they are 
very different. It's, it's similar, just much, much smaller and more succinct. Yeah. Well, um, but so like when you were doing summer stock in college, was were you not starting to pick it up then or you didn't trust that? Certain things. Yeah. Okay. Like I remember, uh, I mean, I was doing some quality productions. I did a wonderful yeah. production of Carousel out in, uh, out in uh, uh, Denver Center. Mm. First time I'd done that wonderful with Donovan Marley. And, uh, you know, you learn things by just being on stage. You know, I, I knew how to look human on stage. <laughs> the first thing i mean that's that's really hard to do it's really hard yeah. to look human as well sing and do this and i learned about you know projection volume and back then it was not it was you know floor mics and ceiling mics we didn't have even personal mics when yeah. i did myself and then everything changed when cole wilkinson sang bring him home and it was like okay you can whisper now yeah that, yeah. Changed, that changed the business huge so did did you have did you go see into the woods in the original production? What when did you... I finally 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 saw it after about two and a half years, and uh, it was painful. Yeah, it was really. I mean, it would that just the name of it. It would give me the willies. Yeah, but Lapine did write me. You know, he wrote me a very nice, very nice note, and then later on, Sondheim wrote a song for me. Yeah, really. That I, I, that was into the woods. Unfortunately, I was going through a divorce at the time. I was my my mental state was was just terrible. But uh, uh, so I don't know. Every time I come in contact with Sondheim, bad things happen in my life. Oh, you're saying it all goes back to calling him sir. Sir, God called him sir. That was a bad thing. I tried to, hey Stevie baby, what's up? <laughs> Truly, hey, what's up? How you doing? It's me, Davy Jones. Uh, Hello, darling. <laughs> oh my God! Um, wow. Well, Brooke, this this is amazing. I mean, really, uh, I'm so grateful that that uh, I got to be the first uh, media person to to get the story from you. Yeah, yeah. It's so great to live through it again. <laughs> yeah, I have some ice cream today. Yes. Um, Exactly what I wanted on my rainy Sunday morning, and, and <laughs> I'll have some more coffee with my depression. I'm going to go into after doing this. Yeah, so, you might Irish it up. <laughs> business, yeah, art over yeah. again. So you know, yeah, it's business. Wow. Well, I, I'm so, I really appreciate it. And it's absolutely great to talk to you. I mean, it, the story might've hurt you, but it was actually very, very entertaining. And, and, and yeah. like, it's fun to laugh at the misery of others, particularly from hindsight with several arm lengths away, the tale of the exile prince. We're laughing with you. Tale. Just, you know, I kind of remind me of Luke's parents, where he finds them. They're just burnt <laughs> corpses at, in Star Wars. That was me, a burnt corpse doing streetcar in podunk. I can <laughs> only imagine. Like Kevin Klein, you know, outside it says, stakes, plays, stakes. <laughs> and not, though, I never did dinner theater. No, no. Oh. 
Thank you for listening to Giants in the Sky, how Sondheim and Lapine went into the woods on the Broadway Podcast Network. Look out for episode 27 with Pamela Winslow Kashani, the original Broadway Rapunzel. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.